Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at Yeah, just so you know, uh, one of the reasons my wife and I wear masks uh, here and some other places is because she's a school teacher. And so it's not that we're afraid of you or that we, you know, don't like you. It's, it's that if she even gets exposed to uh, coronavirus and it's known, she has to report it. And then her class is closed down for two weeks. And so, you know, it's really, some, some of this is, is very difficult in the things we deal with today. And so we love you, though. And we are here. How are you this morning? All right. Well, it is a very, 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 very fine day. And um, welcome to fall in, in, northern, in, in Idaho, because that's what it is. It's wonderful. How many of you like the fall? Yeah? All right. You like the colors on the trees? and the, It's pretty, isn't it? How many of you like Jesus? Yeah? All right. I like Jesus, too. Is it okay if I ask how many of you like the Seahawks? A... <laughs> All right. Good. Good for you. All right. You know, it's kind of funny in America because we all like our football teams. But, you know, you go other places in the world, and it's all about, you know, what they, what they call football, you know, soccer or cricket. You know, one time... Uh, a couple years ago, we were in Pakistan, and, and this, I mean, the streets were closed down. I mean, huge streets because they were having an international cricket competition, you know, and the police were afraid that something bad was going to happen. But anyway, welcome to church this morning. It's a good day. Um, the title of my message is The Integrity of Faith. And the Apostle Paul often used symbolism to kind of describe our relationship with Jesus you know he would just and and throughout scripture actually it's very symbolic sometimes about how we relate to the Lord and so um, just a couple scriptures for you here to begin second Timothy 2 3 Paul said to Timothy you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ and so he gets this idea that he has to be like you know a soldier for the Lord and, and we've heard that um, analogy before and, you know, kids learn it in Sunday school and things like this and in the songs. And, and so it's this idea of, of spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6.13 says, take, uh, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Can you say that with me, the whole armor of God? Above all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I want to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you this morning. I pray that you'll help me, Lord, to share uh, the word that has been placed upon my heart. And Lord, that you'll open up our ears. And uh, Lord, we just love you this morning. And we just praise you and we, we give you praise, we give you honor, we give you glory. And help us to receive and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I believe that 
looking back on 2020, and we've, we're, you know, through 10 months of it now, that it's been kind of like a spiritual battle. Now, I know that Christians are quite often in a spiritual battle. I mean, I've been in places in my life, you know, where I go speak on apologetics or on subjects like cults and world religions or the occult, and I will be like the point of the spear because uh, that's some of my expertise. And, and so suddenly, you know, I'm like the point of the spear and Satan is just hammering on me and demonic entities, you know. And so sometimes life is warfare. You know, and you just have to stand up. You've got to get up in the morning. You've got to put on your clothes. You've got to put on your armor. And you have to move forward, you know. Well, I want you just to imagine, if you will, that this has kind of been like a spiritual battle, which I think it has been. And just imagine for a, a moment, if you can, that, that you're actually warriors. And that, you know, the, the battle now is, is kind of quieted down for a while. And you're in a place kind of of repose and uh, retreat. And, and yet you gotta, you got to always be vigilant. But yet now it's time to kind of maybe rest a little bit. But also one thing you usually have to do, I would think, as a good warrior, is the first thing you do is you tend to your armor. It, because you now have time to tend to your armor. And, and so I want to talk to you about integrity in the sense that, you know, like the integrity of the metal, so to speak, of your shield, um, the integrity of your armor, and you know the making sure is your that your sword, you know your is your double-edged sword is sharp, that that your you know breastplate of righteousness is strong, and really where the Lord kind of shifted me to really think in these last few months because it's kind of been growing in my heart this whole concept and then this message. Is, is that we need to have integrity in our faith. You know, we need to make sure that there's no chips in our armor, in our shield of faith. Because this year could possibly and probably has damaged some people's faith. You know, because there's been so many things that have been coming at us from different directions. Um, Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. I mean, we know this, but, you know, we kind of hate to move through life thinking that we are in a war. And yet we are, because there is an enemy out there who very much wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy Christianity. He wants to do away with it from the world. And he wants to do away with the truth. Now, I'm an old man, so I get to sit down sometimes. Think about, you know, the pandemic that came this year. And then what was that followed by? Protests. I will. Followed by protests. And then, and then followed by, um, you, know, you know, and protests can be good. You know, we live in a society where there can be civilized protests, and praise God for that society. But then rioting breaks out, unfortunately. And, and sometimes killing breaks out. Well, that's really not acceptable. Um, and there's been great political and social unrest and upheaval. I mean, this has been a year. Uh, and, and we all know this. Um, and there is uncertainty about the future, about the economy, about all kinds of things. 
you know, when you think about the word pandemic, and you've heard this before, but, you know, what you see in the beginning of that word is P-A-N, you know, Pan, the god Pan from the Greeks. And, you know, pandemic is uh, very similar in syllables uh, to the word pandemonium. And, you know, pandemonium was coined, the word actually was coined by a guy a few hundred years ago named John Milton, a poet, who wrote a poem called Paradise Lost. And the, the city that was the capital of hell was named Pandemonium. And that's where the concept came from. Well, I kind of think in this you know, season, we've kind of been in Pandemonium in a lot of ways. And there are, there are forces that are trying to, you know, in any way, you know, establish themselves. And so we need to be careful. Now, I try to take a team to Israel every year. And there's a place up in northeastern Israel that is called Caesarea Philippi. And in it is the Temple of Pan. Now, that's the place you know where Jesus in Matthew 16, uh, 13 through 18, took his followers and he challenged them and he said to them, who do you say that I am? Isn't it interesting that Jesus took his followers to the very place in Israel where the Greeks and the Romans would worship all of these foreign gods? Because in that place you have like Zeus, you have like Aphrodite, you have Diana, you know, the goddess of witchcraft, you have... You have um, Pan, you know, the temple of Pan and everything else. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Isn't, I mean, that's amazing. It's like the most important question in the world. And when people are going through warfare and, and they're kind of all over the place in their emotions and their thoughts and everything else, Jesus kind of steps into the fray and says, who do you say that I am? Well, you know, in the, in the midst of this, you know, uh, his disciples kind of say, well, uh, you know, you are, you know, some say you're like Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he says to them, who do you say that I am? Like the most important question in the world. Well, you know, Peter got it right. You know, I think I relate to Peter because he was kind of like an idiot sometimes, you know. But on occasion, he would just get it right. And here he got it right. And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Simon Barjona, because that was his name, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The gates of Hades will not prevail against Jesus or his kingdom. Will not do it. I get to uh, set this down for a minute and open my water. I believe that faith and faithfulness are under attack. So is your Christian hope and your Christian love. You know, Pastor Dick Iverson, a great man of God and 
a mentor, a good mentor. You know, he once preached and he said that what Satan wants to do is make you faithless, hopeless, and loveless. Because if he can steal your faith, your hope, and your love, he's one. And all three of these are essential, but today we're f focusing on the integrity of your faith. And I, I would like you just to allow yourselves to examine yourself from this past year. You know, just take a moment. Every once in a while, it's good to examine yourself, you know, because there's no judgment going on. It's just like, let's examine ourselves because we've been through it. And, you know, I can only imagine that there can be chinks in our armor. I mean, you know, we get pulled both ways. And, you know, in a lot of sense, we've kind of had to tiptoe around a lot of people's feelings and everything else, you know. And, and, and we've had to be very careful about what we say, what we do, how we do it. And I think that in a case like, you know, we've gone through, we, we have to kind of consider and check. And so, <clears throat> and what happens? And my concern is that when we check our shield of faith, you know, we need to make sure, are there any cracks in it? Are there any chips? Have we been struck in such a way, by such a blow, where we're kind of wondering and we're questioning? And maybe we're questioning God. We're questioning like, well, where's your, where's your protection? Where's your provision? You know, maybe we're questioning Christianity. Maybe we're questioning church. Maybe we're questioning a lot of things. But we need to examine ourselves. New Testament says examine yourself. You know, I can't examine you. Only you know your own heart. You need to examine your own life. And that's what I think we should do here, is take a moment and examine. One of the things that's really kind of come heavy on my heart in the last few months is this sense of the Lord's concern for his people. And, and I mean that in the best way possible. I'm talking about how a father is concerned for his children. And, and I just want to remind you that the Lord is the great comforter. You know, if you're, if you're feeling in need of comfort, the Lord is the great comforter. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Notice that in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in tr any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So God comforts us, hopefully we comfort others. And please remember that he is the compassionate shepherd. He's the compassionate shepherd. Matthew 9, 36. But when he saw the multitudes, I love this, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. See, I think that's how God is to his people right now. He's kind of looking down on them. He's a little concerned, you know, because they've been through it. I mean, God loves you. I hope if you don't know anything else, you know that God loves you. He loves you. 
And he also has good things planned for you. Luke 12, 32. Do not fear, little flock. This is a great little passage. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God wants to give you good things. He so much wants to give you good things. Now, you know, I like to study um, historic and historical theologians from the early church. But every once in a while, I make it to the Middle Ages. And there's, there's one guy named Thomas Aquinas, a great theologian of the 12th century. And, you know, I haven't read all of his stuff, but his, his big thing for Christians was that we have to learn how to balance faith with reason and to balance reason with faith. You know, reason is a good thing. It's good to have a mind to be able to use to think about things. You know, it's good to be able to go to the job and to figure out what you need to do to build the building or to run your business or to teach in your school or to do whatever you need to do. That's all good. But then also there's faith. And there's, and there's faith in our lives today and we're, we're examining that faith. There needs to be this balance. Now, you know, this might be a corny example, but one time in the early 1980s, I was... Oh, I was running a Christian school up in northern Idaho, and oh my goodness, we didn't have two pennies to rub together. My wife and I, we both worked in the school, and we were, you know, we were just sacrificing for the Lord, and in the summers, I'd have to work full-time just to make ends meet, and, and then on Saturdays, every Saturday, for years, I, I worked for a contractor, and, um, and I remember um, this one Saturday in, in the winter of northern Idaho, um, I, this house was raised up off the ground. And um, my job was to take all of these concrete Z blocks that were very heavy, one in each hand, and to walk down this plank that was like a two by eight, and there was ice and snow everywhere. And I'm walking out in the ice and the snow, and then I'm walking on this slanted uh, ramp that, bless you, Bert Whitney, walking down this slanted ramp and, and um, trying to get underneath this house that had been raised up off the ground. It's kind of, if you can imagine the picture, just this ramp going down from here, but it wasn't quite this steep, but it was kind of steep. And I'm trying to walk down that ramp over a ditch, you know, and, and I've got a, a brick in both hands, and, I'm, and it's not that they were so heavy. They were, they were heavy, but, you know, I was pretty strong. So I, I'm, I'm carrying them. But as I'm walking down the ramp, I'm trying not to fall off. And, and, and as I get to the house, I have to bend my body and contort my body in such a weird way to get underneath this house and then to go and, and set them down into place and then go back up another 150 times and do the same thing. Well, by the end of the day, my back was sore you know, from the weird way that I had to contort it. I feel like that's what I've been through this year. You know, trying to balance faith and reason. You know, walking with these two heavy bricks, you know, on the, in the most awkward way. I just kind of think that we've been through something like that this year. Now, earlier this year in January, um, our youth pastor, Rob Ash, asked me to come to the youth group right in this room and to talk to them about the subject of faith. They had a number of questions about faith. And so I was asked to answer those questions. And um, they had some really good questions like some of these. What does faith look like practically? That's a really good question. 
How do you apply faith daily? How do you stop living on emotions and start living on faith? You know, that's a good question. Think about a young person asking that. Well, soon afterwards, our whole world was sent into a tailspin. I mean, I brought the team back from Israel at the beginning of March, came home, and hello, coronavirus, you know? Here it is. And, and everything's shutting down. Um, you know, the, the uh, businesses were closed. The public events were canceled. Air travel restrictions. I had to call off two trips to um, Kenya in uh, April and in August and uh, was possibly going to go to... Um, you know, another country in October couldn't do that. Well, uh, and by the way, please pray for Kenya College of Ministry because, you know, it's just kind of been on hold this whole year. And I'm not even sure what to do about December. I'm supposed to go there again. So please think about it in prayer. But, you know, social distancing, masks and protesting and riots, all this stuff uh, that we've talked about. And, and, you know, it's, and it's still happening. Like, I was just down in Southern California. I was teaching in a Bible college down there. And, and in some of the counties down there, it's like, you know, everything kind of seems to be halfway back to normal. People are kind of moving around. Some people with masks, some people without. Other counties are completely closed down. You know, it's just, it's still happening. So it, those are just the times in which we live. Now, in my response to the youth and some of their questions, I kind of went back to uh, a sermon that I created for pastors in Africa when I was there a few years ago with World Map uh, doing pastors conferences. So some of this comes from a message that I created called Great Faith, but I'm just going to kind of go through these rapid fire and give these to you. These are, I kind of like to surround a subject, so I'm kind of surrounding it. So these are some of the components of faith. Um, and one of those is salvation. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How many of you are glad that there's salvation in Christ? Amen. Uh, faith is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. The faith that you have in your heart is a gift from God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Faith is one of the nine supernatural spiritual gifts that we read about in 1 Corinthians 12. And in verse 9, it says, to another faith is given by the same spirit. Faith is also necessary to believe the word of God. Even when you're reading the word of God, there's like an element of faith that connects with it and ministers to your heart. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, you welcomed it. As it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. By the way, faith is necessary to please God. Um, Hebrews 6, 11, 6 rather. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, the faith that you have in your heart. Listen, <laughs> just segue here. Someday, after this is all over, and you've gone through your battles of life, and you've gone through your, you know, you've, you've tested your mettle, you've gone through your wars, and everything comes to kind of an end. It's actually just the beginning, but kind of an end. And you enter into those kingdom gates, and God says to you, well done, 
thou good and faithful servant. It's not going to make any difference if you look back in your life and you have regrets. Because he's going to be pleased with you. Pleased with you. And everything is going to be, it's all going to be new. It's all going to be fresh. Thou good and faithful servant. Faith is accompanied by works that express that faith. James 2.26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So, you know, we, we don't do good works because we're working our way to heaven. We, we aren't working for salvation. I, if you're working for salvation, please stop. You know, it, just give your life to Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what it says. You know, confess, your, confess him as Lord. Believe in your heart. You will be saved. Um, but we work because we're, we're grateful. You know, we're thankful for what God's done for us. And if we aren't thankful, we should be, you know. And, and we should do the work uh, that he calls us to do. And there's so many other things about faith. I mean, you know, like if you go to Acts chapter 2, the end of it, verse 40 through 47, it talks about how faith is necessary for all the things that the early Christians do. And, and when I teach on faith, I often say to people, and so I say it to you, is you don't do anything in the kingdom of God without faith. You know, you pray in faith, you read the word of God in faith, you give your tithes in faith, you take the baptism in faith, you know, communion. It's all done in faith. And, and so the whole Bible really is about, you know, the faith and faithfulness or the lack of them in some sense. And so it's very important. Nelson's Bible Dictionary defines faith this way. It says, faith is a belief in or confident attitude toward God involving commitment for his will to one's life. And just a couple words for you. In the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word imam, which means established or firmness um, and moral fidelity. And Habakkuk 2, 4 says, behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Please say that with me, the last part. But the just shall live by faith. Now, in the New Testament, you have the Greek word pistis, which is, I think, from a flower. Um, but it means trust, firm persuasion, or a conviction based upon hearing. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so you got to be in the word of God because the word of God produces faith in your heart. So you want to make sure that you're actively involved in getting the word of God down in your heart because then your faith is bolstered. Now, some complexities of faith. Well, there's different perspectives and reactions. Now, you know, I know it's been kind of strange, but Christians may have different views and perspectives. Do you know that Christians may differ from you? Do you know that your opinion is not the only opinion in the universe? Do you know that somebody else might actually have a different idea than you do? And it might be okay. I mean, it's okay for Christians to have different ideas and opinions. And as long as it's word-based. You know, as long as it's, as it's based upon the word of God. I mean, one of the... One of, the one of the things that one of the students asked me, rather, at, at the youth night um, was a question that just kind of blew me away. 
And the question was, how do you live a faith-filled life without hurting or judging others? Wow, that's a heavy-duty question. Come on, that's a good question, isn't it? I mean, that's a pretty good question. Well, my answer was twofold. One was brokenness. Now, when I say brokenness, I don't mean brokenness in a bad sense. I mean brokenness in a good sense. Uh, I'm talking about like, you know, release of the spirit by, you know, um, um, watch my knee, thank you. You know, or, or the idea that we have the alabaster box and, and there's this precious ointment inside and it needs to be broken open for that refreshing uh, aroma to come out. Now, you know, we must let the Lord break us in a sense in our lives. It's kind of like Jacob, you know, wrestling with the angel of the Lord and then limping for the rest of his life. Why? Because he wrestled with Almighty God. You know, there needs to come a time in our life where we are get past pride. Come on, where we get past, you know, stubbornness and, and, this, and this husk that wants to hold in the precious anointing oil that God has for us and he wants us to share it with the world. We can't do that if we walk with this guarded husk around us. There's got to be this anointing fragrance that goes out. So that's the kind of brokenness I mean, the humility aspect of brokenness. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. That's who God's looking for. We should not be judging one another, you guys. We should not be judging. Now, you know, if you've been judgmental, then you know what? Um, repent. <laughs> repent. And, and say you're sorry. And say you're sorry to yourself, by the way. You know, don't be judgmental. Because... When we are judgmental, when we judge one another, you know, Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. For with what judgment you judge, it shall be merited out to you again. Well, the whole idea is that if we live our lives thinking about, well, this person did this, this person did that, they shouldn't be doing this, they shouldn't be doing that, it can cause chinks in our armor. It can cause chinks in our integrity of faith because suddenly we are becoming something we shouldn't be. It says somewhere, I don't know if it's in Romans, I can't remember now, but it says, who are you to judge another man's servant? You know, we all have to learn how to live 
in the present time with the things that are going on. Come on, church. We all have to learn. And we should not be walking around keeping score of like, well, this one's this way and that one's that way. We should be praying for one another. We should be encouraging one another. We should be lifting one another up. I mean, united we stand. And, and so we, we've got to be conscientious about some of these things. What we need is we need the whole counsel of the word of God. We need the whole counsel because it's a big word. There's all kinds of different stories in the Bible. There's all kinds of different passages. And it's kind of amazing. And sometimes they almost seem like they're, you know, contradictory. But they aren't, you know. They're just different. There's different times and seasons. There's, you know, Ecclesiastes 3.1. There's a season and a purpose underneath heaven, you know, for every, you know, we have all these purposes under heaven for which there are seasons and times, basically. We need the whole council. Now, please hear me. We need to have the utmost respect for other Christians who have a legitimate, biblically-based alternative view than to the one that we have. Can I hear a weak amen for that? Just a weak one? I mean... We must respect others if they have thoughtfully looked at and considered the word of God and maybe come to a little bit different conclusion than we have. It's okay. It's okay. I want to give you, oh, by the way, I want to say this. I am not talking about respecting the proud, the disobedient, or the rebellious in spirit. I'm talking about respecting other Christians. Um, who, through thoughtful balance of faith and reason, perhaps have come to different conclusions than we have um, about how they're going to approach certain things in their lives. Now, I want to give you some examples out of Scripture that, you know, that kind of talk about this idea of balance. So, in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 13 and 14, the whole chapters are about how the priests were supposed to deal with people who had leprosy and, and how they would regard them. And they were kind of like the medical advisors. I mean, they pretty much had to be the medical techs right there and, and, and how they would approach them. And so I'm just going to read you one little portion from uh, Leviticus 13, verse 4 and 5. But if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body and does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and its hair has not turned white, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the sore seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And indeed, if the sore appears to be as it was, then the priest shall isolate him another seven days. Notice that, 14 days. Where is that? Where have you heard that recently? Uh, you know, now, according to modern doctors, the Hebrew word associated with these passages could refer to many diseases, including leprosy, syphilis, smallpox, scabies, as well as various plagues um, that these priests, they had to kind of go and diagnose and, 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 do, and, and deal medically with. Now, that's very interesting. Here's priests that, you know, are, are praying for people for them to be healed on the, on the one hand, but on the other hand, they're actually giving them medical quarantining 
and, and you know, distance, social distancing, you know, not a new concept, I guess. Um, and so on the one hand, follow me, please. The priest had to respond to the disease from a medical perspective. Yet on the other hand, it should also be recognized that leprosy was a specifically associated with the notion that only a sovereign God could cause leprosy or could heal from leprosy. That was their thinking in that culture at that time. I give you an example. I don't have it up there on the screen for you, but Exodus 4, 6 is where Moses is standing before God on Mount Sinai. And you know the story. You know, he throws down his staff and it becomes a serpent. And then he, the Lord tells him to pick it up and the, you know, the serpent becomes the staff again. And he gave him a second sign to show the Egyptians to put his hand inside of his cloak. And when he pulled it out, he was leprous. Oh my gosh, you know, what have you done to me, Lord? You've given me a disease. And then you stick your hand back in there again, Moses, and he pulls it out and now he's healed, he's clean. Well, that's weird, I don't know why. I mean, honestly, but I believe it was because <coughs> at that time in history, in that part of the world, there was this concept that God would cause the leprosy or he would remove the leprosy and that only sovereign God could do that. And so it was one of the signs that Moses walked into Egypt with. And as another example, we see Naaman in, uh, what is it, uh, in 2 Kings chapter 5, where, where, you know, the king of Syria understands that Naaman, his his trusted advisor has leprosy, so he sends him to Israel. Why would he send him to Israel? An enemy. He sends him to Israel because he heard that there was a God in Israel that could heal leprosy. And so he sends him there and he ends up before the prophet Elisha and Elisha says, go wash in the Jordan seven times. And he does and he ends up getting healed. And so this concept then of this, of this leprosy. Now, so we have that kind of on one side of it. But now, consider Exodus 15, 26, which says, For I am the Lord who heals you. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. I am the Lord who heals you. There is a God in heaven who is greater than any of this. And he can heal anybody. He can bring forth healing. And so as Christians, I think sometimes we are like, well, what gives, Lord? I mean, this whole pandemic is breaking out. Why isn't there healing happening everywhere? You know, we read about people who emptied the hospitals, healed everybody. You know, where's it all at, Lord? And I think sometimes maybe it kind of gives a chink in our armor. You know, like, where's your protection, Lord? Where's your healing power? Where's it all at? So we need to stop and go, okay, Lord, you know, help me with this. Help me with this. Are you... Are you Hearing what I'm saying is Psalm 103, 1 through 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? I mean, 
these, these Hebrews, they understood that, that sometimes, you know what? You got to do what's medically practical. But at the same time, you believe in God who heals you. They're not contradictory. They're kind of all part of the same scheme of God. In the New Testament, we see Matthew 20, 32 through 34. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, Who do you want me to, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. And another one, Mark 9:23, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Well, now let's kind of contrast that to Paul, the great man of God who, who did heal people uh, through, you know, the word of God and through God's power. But then look at Galatians 4, 13 and 14 from the God's word version. Paul wrote, you know that the first time I brought you the good news, I was ill. Notice that. Paul was ill. Even though my illness was difficult for you, you didn't despise or reject me. Now, modern medical experts believe that Paul had a condition known as trachoma, which was an eye disease, an infectious eye disease. And here is Paul, you know, he could pray for others to be healed, but he wasn't healed himself. And, you know, we all know from 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul wrestled with the Lord three times for the infliction that he had. You know, and then the Lord granted him a wisdom and understanding about why this affliction was upon him. You know, um, but he wasn't healed. He simply gained wisdom. But in 2 Timothy 4.20, um, it says that Trophimus was one of his disciples that followed with him and did the work of the ministry he said I left in Miletus sick and so here's this man that was left sick you know he wasn't healed um, and then Paul gives medical advice to Timothy in 1st Timothy 5 23 he says this isn't up on the screen he says no longer drink only water but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. So here's Paul giving medical advice, what at that time was considered medical advice. And did you know that in the Bible there's like 12 different types of oils that supposedly brought healing? The application of them would bring healing to people. And some actually believe that in James chapter 5, verse 14, where it says, that they were, the elders were to um, pour oil. You know, it says, Are there, is there any sick among you? Call for the elders of the church and have them anointed with oil and prayed for. And his confession will heal him. Well, some people believe that that oil is actually like camphor oil, which actually brings healing um, to that portion of the body. Well, the point is this, is that they used whatever they could to bring healing. They used it all. They used whatever medical thing they could to bring healing. They prayed for them, believing that God would heal them. Come on, church. They, they, they did whatever they did. It's, it's not like it was the one or the other. They did it all. So I think sometimes we need to be a little bit careful. Now, let me just tell you a few personal stories. 
So, you know, last year, after years of going through um, severe uh, acid reflux, you know, and just going the gamut on it and trying everything I could. I prayed, you know, I had people pray for me. I um, had, um, you know, I tried to change my diet. I tried to, you know, do remedies and all these types of things. I finally had an operation. And you know what? I feel so much better having that operation. I'm really glad for medical doctors. You know, I believe they are a gift from God. I believe their wisdom is a gift from God. Now, I compare that, though, to um, a time way back when, when I was in ministry up in northern Idaho. And uh, it was on a Wednesday night, I believe. And, and uh, you know, I was up in front, and we were having a prayer service. And, and uh, this street person comes and has a large cankerous goiter hanging off of their throat. I mean, it was as big as a softball. And he didn't go up to anybody else. He came up to me and he wanted prayer. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. And, and he's kneeling down and he's crying. And I'm like, Lord. And I, and I just read this book by Smith Wigglesworth, this guy a hundred years ago that could just lay hands and see healing and stuff. And, and so I'm, and I don't know why. They had given me this large bottle of oil. Now, when I say, you know, the vials of oil they have here, these little things. Well, at that church, I mean, we're talking huge bottles of oil. And, and in this book, you know, Smith Wigglesworth had gone to this guy who was dying on his bed, and, and the Lord said, pour it out on him. So he did, and the guy got healed, you know. Well, I'm kneeling down at the altar, and, and, and uh, I'm going to pray for this guy. I'm going to take a little dab of oil and put it on his head, you know, and pray for him. And the Lord goes, dump it on his head. And I'm like, no, and I'm, and I'm wrestling, my arm is kind of wrestling back and forth for like 30 seconds, and this guy is weeping there, and I just, I mean, talk about the oil running down the beard of Aaron, I mean, there was oil everywhere, you know, there's oil on the floor, I mean, I dumped the whole bottle on him, I mean, there's oil on his, on his clothes and everywhere else, on his cheeks and his hair, his eyes, he got healed! You know, I mean, he got healed, healed. He had, he had been to the doctor that day, and, and they'd given him an x-ray, and he had cancer. The next day he comes back, it's completely gone. Everything's gone. <laughs> and, the, and the strangest thing is we never saw that guy again, you know? It's like, as a pastor, you're like, oh, great, you know? You have this great thing, miracle happens, and the guy never even shows up again. But anyway, so... And then a few years ago, I'm in Pakistan, and I'm, you know, oh, my gosh, so much need over there. And, I'm, and I, all of these people are coming forward for, you know, well, first for salvation, but then for healing all these Muslims and these poor people. And, and they're all crying and weeping, and I'm just praying, trying to pray down the fire of God upon them, like 100 people, I don't know, in front of me. I mean, just try it sometime, you know. And I'm just praying, 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 trying to you know, have mercy upon them, Lord. Well, I guess one woman that, you know, she got, she was blind, she got her vision, you know, and another kid was deaf and he got his hearing. You know, now, here I have to have an operation, but somehow God's used me in times in my life where I've been able to, you know, see people get healed. I don't understand it, you know? I mean, do I understand it? No, I don't understand it. All I know is this. That God is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the author and finisher of my faith. 
He's the author and finisher of your faith. And you must walk through every single valley and over every single mountain. You must be willing to do whatever it is to walk out this life of faith with God and to come to the place where you're like David and you come to your highest place, you come to your highest mountain because church, God loves you. And he's concerned, yes, but he also wants you to experience the fullness, the fullness of what God has for you. The fullness of what God has for you. Young man, I don't know what your name is. Yeah, but I, the Lord is just stopping me on you and he's just, he's just telling me that you can have the fullness of God in this life. I, I see in you the potential to have the fullness. That there are faith levels that God wants to bring you to that will just someday blow you away. Blow you away. You know, I'm just an old hippie dude that God radically saved way back when. You know? I mean, I'm the idiot that stared at the sun for 30 days and thought I was Jesus, you know? I mean, fifth level paranoid schizophrenic time, you know? And God healed my mind and raised me up in the body of Christ to be a voice. And who, who would have known back then, you know, that God would use me in any way? Well, you know what? God can use people. We just have to, we just have to give ourselves to him. But look, folks, we've got to have faith in the living God. Okay, I know I've got to land this plane here, so we can have the worship team come up now, and I'll just uh, kind of close with a few thoughts here. I want to talk about the seed of faith in your heart for a moment. Luke 17, 5, and the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Can you say that with me? Increase our faith. Say it one more time. Increase our faith. Now, what's interesting to me about this passage, I'm going to give you Jesus' response in a moment, but what's interesting to me is that when you study the book of Luke, all the chapters from chapter 9 all the way through chapter 19, 10 chapters are about the journey of Jesus with the disciples to Jerusalem for the last time. All of them. And, and then they get to Jerusalem. And, and so the disciples basically had been with Jesus for two and a half to three years by the time they asked him this question. Which means that they'd already been sent out by twos in Luke chapter 10. They, they'd already been doing, praying for healing and seeing healing in people's lives. They've already been preaching the gospel. They've already seen Jesus do so many miracles. And I mean, by this time, Peter's already stepped out of the boat. They've had all of these things that have happened. And yet now they're still saying, increase our faith. If the disciples, after three years of walking with Jesus, had to say, Lord, increase our faith, how much more do I have to do it? You know? And, and so, and then Jesus' response is interesting. He says, so the Lord said, if you have faith, as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, 
you know, I'm not going to spend a long time in this, but the mustard seed was considered like this smallest of seeds. And it could possibly have referred to several different seeds, uh, theologians believe, but they were all super small, super tiny. And the idea is that this tiny bit of faith can get planted in your heart and it can grow up and it can move boulders out of the way. It can move tree roots. You know, what roots do you have in your life that need to be moved out of the way? You know, what boulders need to be moved out of the way? That, that little seed, I mean, the potential inside of it, it, it breaks out. Notice brokenness. It breaks out of the husk around it because it's watered and it's nurtured in the sunlight. And it breaks out. It puts down its own roots into God and into the Word of God. And, and it starts to break forth into the sunshine. The uh, early rabbis they were basically called um, rooters, rooter up of mountains. Like they would, they were, they were given this idea that they could kind of like move mountains because basically it was all about perspective and wisdom and, 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 and being able to get something in the right place to move mountains. So the reason I say that is because this whole idea about this seed or, you know, faith to move mountains or whatever, the whole idea comes from the idea that no matter what the difficulty is that is in front of you, there is a God in heaven and there is faith in your heart that can move all of that out of the way. Now, it might not be quite in the way or the quickness that we want, but it can happen. You know, it might be this gradual seed coming up that just moves the roots out of the way. Moves the mountain out of the way. Can we stand together, please? I'm going to pray for you in a moment, but first of all, I want you to pray. I just feel like it's good to declare to the Lord. And you know, the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. I would like you just to take a few moments, if you will, 30 seconds, um, 60 seconds, whatever, and just lift your hands to the Lord and just make it your prayer. Uh, and, and just ask God to do a few things, like to increase your faith, and, and if need be, to repair your faith, you know, to do whatever it is to bring you to the place that he wants you to be. Can you, can you do that right now? Just, just for a little while. it out loud to the Lord. Just in your own place, just ask the Lord. Let's just, let's just do it. Lord, increase my faith, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Increase the faith of this congregation. Repair, heal, 
anything you need to do, Father God. Help our faith to be whole. Help our integrity to be whole. The integrity of all to be whole, I pray, God. In Jesus' name. And, and now can you just either, you know, reach out and touch somebody next to you and pray for them or just point towards somebody with your hands if you don't want to touch them. Just pray for the person next to you that God will you know, heal their faith, increase their faith. Just, just, you know, just heal in the name of Jesus. Heal. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just, we just pray, God, that you will just restore, renew, however you look at it, Lord, whatever the right words are, God, that you will heal, and that you will grow our faith, that, that you will bring our faith into firmness, into firm persuasion, that, that you will mend any of the chinks in our armor, that you will mend any of the cracks in our shield, God, that you will uh, help us to be warriors with with the full armor god that we can have the strength of the spirit of the living god father watch over each of your children here and, and uh, bring that wholeness to them if there's any if there's any need lord um, and we just ask it in jesus name amen amen now can you just keep your eyes closed and i just want to ask is because you know we've talked about a lot of things here today and there might be some of you in here today that you know this whole stuff about Jesus maybe is kind of new to you in, in some sense or you know maybe you know it says if you confess Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved and, and maybe maybe you've actually never you know just kind of given your life formally to to Jesus I remember I had to do it one time so many years ago and, and uh, I'd already kind of done it but I'd never done it corporately like the Bible says we're supposed to do and so I just want to give opportunity for that here today I want to pray for you and with every eye closed and and uh, you know heart bowed um, just by a show of hands I'm just gonna look out is there anybody here that would say yeah that's me today I just want I just want to be I just want to give my life to Jesus right now it's, it's okay okay I see that hand I see that hand anybody else okay Okay, I see that hand, yes. I see that hand, yes. All right, praise God. All right, I see that hand back there. Good. Hallelujah. The Lord says, let the little children come unto me, praise God. Hallelujah. Okay, church, can we all pray this prayer together? Out loud. And we're all going to kind of just recommit. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into this world to die for me. Thank you for your gift of salvation. And thank you for your gift of faith. I love you, Lord. Thank you for loving me. I give my life to you right now. And I want to walk in a way that's pleasing to you. Please grow the faith in my heart. And I wait for that day when you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God.